Welcome everyone to another episode of Settlement Nation. I am Courtney Barber and I'm joined today by my co-host Chris Boer, as well as a very special guest, Keith Bruno. Now, Keith is a trial attorney and partner at Carpenter, Zuckerman and Raleigh out of Orange County, California. And he also has his own firm there as well. He has tried over 150 cases in his career so far and has been recognized by super lawyers as a rising star from 2009 to 2015, as well as a super lawyer from 2016 to 2018. In addition to all of those accolades, he has a $40 million verdict under his belt in a wrongful death case and an acquittal in a first-degree murder case, which we are also going to cover today. So welcome, Keith. Good morning, and thank you, Courtney and Chris. Good to be here. Thank you, Keith. We'll get right into it. Um, when we were debriefing a little bit on your background, I saw that you won your first case just one month after you passed the bar in 2002. Now, a few episodes ago, we had Brian Ward on uh, Settlement Nation, and he had a similar situation where he actually won his first case uh, before his colleagues and classmates were sworn into the bar. So I don't know if this is the start of a pattern or not, but if you could maybe speak a little bit about that experience right out of law school, right out of passing the bar. And uh, also the first couple of years of your practice, it looks like you had 11 cases go to verdict. So um, looking back, how did, how did you jump right into bringing those cases all the way? So it's definitely a pattern among certain people. Um, I was one of them. I, I guess Brian was one of them. I knew right away that I wanted to be a courtroom lawyer. I did not have the attention span or the discipline to be the type of lawyer who just you know went over documents all day and then got into a Porsche and wanted to make partner after seven years. So my experience was was different. When I was in law school, I worked through law school because I had to. So I bartended and I worked in various law firms. Uh, and I got a diversity of experience. I worked for a criminal lawyer for about a year. And then I worked for a civil firm. And that civil firm, I was lucky enough to have, we had diverse clients that the, the key to that is that some can pay to have a senior partner as their trial counsel, and some can't. And those that can't get someone like me to be their trial counsel as a, as a very young lawyer. So the suit that I initially won, my, my boss at the time, a guy by the name of Chip Purdy, who still practices in San Diego, he had just this kind of really cool foresight that he was training trial lawyers and he wasn't training lawyers just to do his discovery for him or anything like that. So he actually made me serve the lawsuit myself that I would eventually end up trying uh, when I was in law school. So I went out and I served it on this lady and her sons in, in the middle of the hood. There was like pit bulls that were, you know, barking at me. And um, I, I made quite a stir, you know, when I rolled up and my six Toyota Camry, uh, and you know, walked al along this this alleyway and ran into this woman, and I'm like, "Are you Mrs. Guerrero?" And she's like, "See," and I go, "Here, you're served." Um, so you know, I had all these kinds of, of really cool hands-on experiences that then I worked the case up as a law student, going through uh, through the discovery process, and it wasn't. Back then, it wasn't like it is now where every case seemingly takes five years to get to trial. 
This case went to trial in about a year, and I was certainly supposed to lose it. I had no idea what the subject matter was. It was basically a case involving uh, our client with a fire restoration company, and they were brought out to do a job, and they were paid for the first third of the job. They did the second third, and then they were thrown off the job, and she had you know her cousins and uncles finish the job. So it was really basically like a contract slash fraud case. Um, and the, the lawyer on the other side, he was this supposed expert in construction. He had been a construction foreman and he knew everything about construction. And I had a pretty good sense that it didn't matter that I didn't know anything about construction. This was about fairness. They did two thirds of a job. They got paid for one third and she tried to take advantage of them. And the jury found that as well. So Kind of like Brian and in, in his experience, I think if this is what you're looking for as a younger lawyer, if if you're looking for experience, if you're looking to do something, to get your hands dirty and go do something, you can find it. What you won't find in exchange is you, that's not going to be the highest paying job that you get, right? That's not going to be the one where you get to tell your friends that you're a summer associate at this big, important law firm that has big, important clients that does big, important things. And meanwhile, all you do is read big, important documents all day. Uh, so if you're kind of willing to take the courtroom path, uh, you're going to have to sacrifice quite a bit in money. Uh, but what you don't get in money and maybe prestige from your immediate friends, you'll get in terms of your doing stuff. And, and I can tell you that after I started doing stuff, after I started actually going to court, all of my friends at big, important law firms were like, you get to do that? Get out. Like, who, who let you? I mean, it's like, who's this gatekeeper of all things legal that let you show up in court? I'm not allowed in court. Why, why are you allowed in court? <laughs> it's really, really a unique and awesome experience in that way. That's great. And on that note, Keith, you know, talking about younger attorneys and talking about your experience, um, when you're starting out and for other, this might be some advice for other people as well, you know, how do you get the defense and the defense's experts, A, to take you seriously and to strike some fear into them when you don't have a lot of practice or cases under your belt? So I think that's an awesome and important question, but it's two questions. The first one is you don't, right? You don't get them to take you seriously. They're not going to take you seriously, but you can strike fear in them. And this is how. You don't know what you don't know, right? So if you're just starting out and you have a case and you're going to depose an expert and there's some old crusty lawyer, you know, that, that is in his 60s or, you know, he's been practicing for 20 years like I have. And, and God, everybody that's been practicing for 20 years loves to say how they've been practicing for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, especially when they see a new green lawyer and what's the first thing they do? They look up that lawyer on, on the state bar and they see that his number is like 10 million and he just graduated. And they go into that deposition with such a weakness. They go into that deposition underestimating the lawyer. They go into that deposition thinking that they're able to lecture that lawyer, that that lawyer is going to do the wrong thing. And they they have 
experience on their side where they can make you feel like you just asked a question that's going to get you disbarred. Not only is is the judge going to throw your case out if you continue to ask one more question like this, but you may never be able to practice law again. Well, that's all nonsense. So as a young lawyer, what you have is you have enthusiasm, you have time, you're, you're never as busy as you as you will eventually be, right? So you're able to prepare for that one deposition in a way that, that either an experienced lawyer is unable or unwilling to prepare for such a deposition. You're able to get creative. And here's the here's a secret that is kind of a dirty secret. Um, but if you have subject matter expertise, if you've been doing uh, medical malpractice forever and you've been defending medical malpractice forever, you're almost on autopilot when you come in to, to many of these depositions. Both the defending attorney and the, the, the deposing attorney, they all know kind of what's going to be asked, and they just go through the motions in a lot of cases. It's a really bad way to practice law, and I don't recommend it no matter how old you are or how experienced you are. But if you're young, you don't have that, right? You, you're not just into that, I'm going to ask all the same questions that I always ask. You're going to ask different questions. You're going to ask more pointed questions. You're going to ask questions that the doctor or the defendant truck driver or the person most knowledgeable at Home Depot is not is not anticipating. It's not among the 17 questions that they've always been asked and they've always answered this certain way or they've always shined you on. And you're also, you, you have that freshness of curiosity where when you don't get an answer to your question, you can follow it up. You know that you didn't, you, you thought of the question, you know that that person's not answering your question to your satisfaction. So you can, you can really get creative and the creativity is the antidote to the lack of experience. And that's, what's going to set the defense on their heels when they go back or an adjuster goes back and evaluates this uh, particular transcript and says, oh my God, our, our defendant said this. Oh my God, our defendant admitted that. You know, this, this is the product of somebody who doesn't know what they don't know. A lot of people are like, well, you know, how do I walk in and get the same respect as you know Nick Rowley would get or as Gary Dordick? How do I get the the deponent? to, you know, quake in his knees at the, at the near mere mention of my name, uh, that maybe I'm showing up to do this deposition. And in reality, that's, that's the truth for maybe, I don't know, 25 lawyers in, in the West. You know, maybe it's not the truth for me. It's not the truth. Nobody's scared. But once I start asking questions, they start to realize that they're about to be in a world of hurt. And that's the same thing that any young lawyer has and can do. Yeah. So, Keith, we've got um, a little nugget of information that we found where it looks like you appeared as a competitor on a reality show called The Law Firm back in 2005, earlier in your career. Uh, it was a uh, one-season show on NBC where lawyers competed against each other on uh, trying real cases with real clients where the results would be um, uh, a final outcome. Wanted to know, how did you get on that show and what was that experience like for you? Ah, well, thank you for bringing that up. 
Um, you know, I got on it because I was dissatisfied at my insurance defense job. I had been there for four months and I just hated it. I hated the work. Um, it wasn't for me. And at that there was a, at the time they were doing the firm intranet thing and you needed like a picture, a headshot so that when you emailed somebody, your headshot would come up. And of course, cause I wasn't happy. I was working on my resume as well. And so the, on the same day, one of the firm partners sent around this email, like anybody interested in being famous and sent out the casting call kind of as a joke, right? And not kind of as a joke. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I'll just send in my, you know, I already have my picture that they're taking and I'll, I'll send in my resume because at the time that was all you needed. And to, for, I think people that are hearing this now, we live in such a different world than in, than in 2005 or 2004, whenever it was, that at the time I was told by, by family of mine that is in the entertainment industry, um, you can't do this. No one will take you seriously. Your career will be over if you do a reality show. Rea you know, reality shows at the time was like The Apprentice and Survivor, and that was it. And it wasn't this just massive, you know, today they're just shows, right? You, you just watch a show on Bravo. Chances are it's a reality show, but it's a show. And so I was really told not to do it and that I would kind of be, be clowned uh, for being on a reality show from that point going forward. And of course, I don't know what people say behind my back. So maybe to this day, they still do, but I kind of doubt it. And I met awesome people on that show. And I, I really connected with a bunch of them, including the host Roy Black, who's uh, still a good friend of mine and somebody that I speak to on text and I, I go to his home and, um, and we have, you know, great affection for one another. And so to me, it was, it was about building relationships, but then the, the bigger lesson uh, was just do things differently. Like there's no, there's no reason why, your career has to be this kind of escalator march to a partner at some firm. There's so many different awesome paths that you can take and you can get off the path that you're supposed to take and take a separate path. And I think that more than anything taught me how to look at my career as a series of opportunities that are either taken or not taken. And I do not regret taking it. I mean, I, I, Olivier Talieu is one of my good friends. He practices personal injury in Los Angeles now. Um, Jason Adams is a, a friend of mine from the show who, who also practices in Los Angeles and is head of like some large construction division of, of his firm. So I, I met a lot of dynamic and successful people and I'm leaving other people out uh, as well, but just to name a few um, that, that I really benefited from professionally and personally. And it was fun kind of midway through the show. We knew it was dying. Like shows have life. When it started, we had, um, you know, each cast member had two production assistants with them at all times. And like, you could tell that the budget was really unlimited. And then, and then like four weeks into filming, all of a sudden, like, now 
three cast members have one production assistant assigned to them. Like you could just see the air coming out of the um, out of the balloon. And then, in fact, what happened is, and and you can't even find this on the internet. So you know, feel free to Google, but you can't even find the the footage. I've never even seen. Yeah, I've seen one or two episodes and it was bad. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> bad. And then they moved it over to Bravo, which at the time was a network nobody had ever even heard of. And like, then my mom couldn't even find it. I don't even think my parents have watched it all. And, and one of the reasons is, is they, you know, David E. Kelly, who produced LA Law and all this other stuff, wanted to do a show about real lawyers trying real cases, doing real stuff in the courtroom and that's real friggin' boring you know if you're gonna have a reality show you need to put a hot tub in the middle of that law firm you need to get like <laughs> a guy to girl ratio going you need to introduce into the you know to the equation and we had none of that they just wanted to show us working and as a result america didn't really want to watch us working right it's not as scandalous as it's made to look like on boston legal and those shows i think um but i was actually I was going to say I wanted to look it up, but if it doesn't exist anywhere on the internet, we can just we can just imagine in our minds a, a very young Keith Bruno. But on that topic, Keith, and with 150 trials under your belt, I'm sure you have a, a detailed trial preparation routine. I'd love to hear about what that entails. Sure, I, I do. And it might not be what you think. The, the, the only way you get that many trials is by being prepared and ready on about three at any given time. And it's invariably the one that you're least prepared for or least want to try that will be the next one up. So I have this this vision of the way I try cases is like an air traffic controller at LaGuardia Airport, right? There's a bunch of planes in the sky and you land the plane that lands the first is the one that has to, you know, has the lowest fuel, has a pregnant woman on board, whatever the case may be. So I'm never just prepared on one case. I'm prepared on three cases at any given time. And that preparation is, is of course, um, I, I have a wonderful team that works, you know, most of the cases up really until experts. And then once once we're designating experts, I'll start taking the depositions. Uh, I'm an auditory learner, which is why I love podcasts. Uh, but I also record everything, so every deposition I take is is recorded on um, video and audio, obviously. And then I get the audio, and I just play it in my car. You know, I'm, so everywhere I go in my car, I'm I'm playing a deposition from a case. I'm thinking about it. I constantly keep I keep my iPad um, essentially on my lap, even while driving. I know that's not um, smart, um, and I'll deny it if, if I'm ever in an accident. <laughs> yeah, I won't deny it. Um, but I'm constantly writing down vignettes, um, comparisons. I'm I think in terms of analogies, almost almost exclusively, and so I'm constantly thinking, well, this is like that. And then I jot something down. Um, I think as a, as a child, I grew up without a television and we had one, but it was only one. And my parents were really strict. So I could only watch like an hour a week or something ridiculous. It wasn't even worth it. 
So I would listen to the radio. I would listen to sports on the radio constantly. And it just kind of trained my ear to listen and think like that. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, nobody likes to hear this, but there's just no substitute for sitting down with every ounce of material that you have and reading it and reading it slowly, uh, which is what I do. I'm not a fast reader. I'm a slow reader. Um, I'm a fast thinker and a slow reader. And that's really how I get ready on three trials at once. And then, like I said, you know, the, the case that you really want to go, you know, the UPS truck with the driver with a shady record who was on meth that crashed into a school bus full of children injuring them, you know, that's that case is just going to settle. Nobody's ever going to hear about it, right? It's the case that is really difficult and the defense is really stupid that maybe they should settle it, but it's not in their interest, or maybe it's very, just very hard for you. Those are the cases that always go. That's some fantastic tips there. And we'll definitely use some of those in our show notes for other people. Because as you said, a lot of people, I believe these days, there's always that element of looking for a shortcut. But at the end of the day, the success is directly tied to your preparation. And it might not be easy, but it definitely works. So we mentioned a little bit in the beginning about your acquittal on a first degree murder case, which is a Sosa case. Would you like to share some of the details about that? with everyone. Sure. Um, so Mr. Sosa was a juvenile, uh, who was charged as an adult, uh, in a homicide uh, at the time. And the, this was a gang related homicide. Um, the, I, I felt, and, and ultimately I was correct that the investigation of the case was just so poor. Um, they basically picked up you know, one of the more vulnerable gang members who, you know, didn't have a story about where he was uh, and then kind of tried to, to fit the, together the evidence, um, you know, just kind of pounding a round peg into a square hole. So much so that kind of the, the most, one of the more interesting things about the case, this was in Riverside, is that I either set myself up to commit malpractice or to look like a genius uh, but it was really one or the other. I left on a police officer. He was a retired police officer on the jury, um, which usually in criminal cases, especially a gang case, I mean, that sounds so stupid and insane. And it probably was. I just didn't, I was young and I didn't know any better. Uh, but I had made the calculation that the investigation was so poor. And the, when I spoke to this man uh, during voir dire, I got a sense that he was a very squared away professional and he was a man who cared about, about his career. He cared about his community. He cared about, you know, his shoes were shined to a high shine. He was impeccably dressed. I got the sense that if the case is really about a terrible investigation, a very sloppy, sloppy police work that, he would appreciate that, that that would resonate with him and he would not countenance such negligence on on behalf of the police and do so, you know, to the tune of sending this kid uh, to prison for the rest of his life. And, and sure enough, um, he, he did. Uh, I, I believe he was the foreman. I could be mistaken on that, but I believe he was. Uh, and they acquitted him of all charges. And one, 
kind of cool little side note that's always, you know, the, the benefits of practicing law. Sometimes it's the verdict, sometimes it's the money, you know, recognition, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes there's just little things. So his aunt um, was a parking attendant at the parking um, garage at Riverside. And suffice it to say, and, and, and this is where you would park to go to court, either civil court or criminal court in Riverside. Uh, so suffice it to say, every time she was working the booth and saw me coming through in my car, that, that arm just went right up and she would wave to me and talk to me and, you know, tell me how happy she was and grateful she was. And it's really cool. I mean, the, these people were, um, were truly grateful. I, I got, I get Christmas cards from him, uh, still that update me on his progress and they moved out of the gang area. I mean, he, he completely took advantage of a second opportunity. And, and it's just a really cool reminder that what we do is important. If you're enjoying this episode, make sure you stay tuned for part two of Keith Bruno's interview, where we cover his Top Gun award for an $11.5 million verdict and a $40 million verdict side by side with Nick Rowley in a wrongful death case. If you're enjoying Settlement Nation, make sure you subscribe, rate and comment on this podcast and we'll see you for part two.